Let's come to our God in prayer and seek his blessing as we continue our worship of him this afternoon. Our Father in heaven, as we come into your heavenly temple on this Sunday afternoon, we sing our hymn of praise to you. We thank you for Jesus, who on the cross as offering for the world's salvation bled We thank you not only for his death, O God, that covers our sins, but for his resurrection from the dead uh, that gives us life. Indeed, we can sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, the first fruits of that holy harvest field. And Father, your word tells us if there is a first fruit, there are more fruits to come. And so there is yet an abundant harvest to be fully gathered in. That great resurrection from the dead of the saints through the ages. And Father, that is our hope and that is our joy again this Lord's Day. And so with your church in heaven and your church on earth, we praise your holy name. Uh, Father, we pray that the gospel would continue to go forth here in this building, but also around the world, that more and more people may come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and having come to faith in the Lord Jesus would experience hope. We thank you for that hope that is ours in Christ. Father, we also pray that love would continue to be in our hearts and in our midst. And as we turn this afternoon to the topic of love in the scripture, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in us and he would be among us, that we would keep in step with him and so bring even greater glory to your name. Father, we pray for those whom you and your providence have hindered from gathering with us. We think of those who are shut in at home or care homes, those who are Uh, Ill this day, those who are away on travels, uh, pray for those who also are called to work in the service of their fellow men, pray for our first responders, for those in healthcare and others who uh, serve the greater good even on this day. We thank you for their service and we pray that you would bless and keep them. Lord, if there be any from our church home here who uh, have wandered from you and no longer hear or heed the call to worship. We pray that you would be at work in their hearts and in their lives, that they would come to remember and that they would come to trust in your covenant promises. We ask, Father, that you would strengthen us all then in our Christian faith. We pray that our mouths would be quick to praise you and that our feet would be swift to walk in your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles as we turn on Holy Scripture uh, this afternoon to Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. We're going to begin at the 12th chapter and the 27th verse and then read through to the end of chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27 in my Bible, that's page 1140.
1 Corinthians 12, the Word of God. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We'll pause in our reading of God's holy word, and uh, we'll sing a hymn of preparation, hymn number 47, and we'll sing 1, 2, and 5. Paul in Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this afternoon we're going to reflect on that fruit of the Spirit with the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 13. And just to focus our attention there, I do want to read those verses with you one more time. So 1 Corinthians 13. 1 through 7. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of our God. May he bless it in our hearing uh, this afternoon.
Uh, beloved in the Lord Jesus, a couple of weekends ago, my wife and I were at the annual Christian Counseling and Education Foundation Conference, and the opening uh, speech was given by Ed Welch, which may or may not mean anything to you, and if it doesn't, don't worry about it. If it does, now you know who I'm talking about. He entitled his opening address, When, when Death Intrudes, When Death Intrudes. Which is interesting because the topic of the conference and the topic of his speech was trauma. But he referenced death because he said, death never travels alone. Among death's companions are wickedness and evil. And when you experience wickedness, it is death coming close. He went on to reflect upon how the church can help those who experience uh, trauma. And he turned to J.I. Packer and to something uh, Packer said that the pastor must do in his study. He must study two books. He must study the scriptures and he must study the human heart. It's not just the pastor, it's the member. Must know God and must know people. We must know both if we're going to care well for people, if we're going to care well for one another. And then Welch said something that left a strong impression upon me. He said that when it comes to God, you have to have more confidence in what you already know, but that when it comes to people, you have to have less confidence that you know the person in front of you. It was that line that particularly struck me, that you have to have less confidence that you know the person in front of you. Gave me reason for pause because I thought, how often don't I think as I'm with someone from the church? How often don't I think that I know that person? And I suspect I'm not the only one. I suspect any number of you will find yourself in situations where you think you know the person who's sitting across from you or the person who sits near you in the church pews. After all, you know their name. You may be so blessed as to know their father's name and their grandmother's name. They might even be a distant relative. Odds are kind of high these days, right? So you know them. But do you know them? Isn't it better to have less confidence in what you think you know about another person in the church. If you're going to care well for another, don't be presumptuous as to think that you know everything important there is to know about them, their names, their jobs, their kids. Well, you see, all that's quite interesting, and thank you very much for sharing it, but what does it have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Or what does it have to do with love? It has everything to do with love. Because love says, I want to know him better. Love says, I want to know her better. Love wants to be close to another person. Love wants to sit down next to another person and say, tell me more. Love doesn't come barging in with all the answers. 
from a position of presumed knowledge of what a person needs. But love enters quietly, sits down and asks questions. Well, returning then to this topic of love this afternoon, using as our lens, as I said, 1 Corinthians 13. These are, I would say, fairly well-known words of the Apostle Paul on love. My wife said to me uh, earlier today, well, you must have preached on 1 Corinthians 13 a lot with all the weddings you've done over the years. And I said, you know what? I think I did one wedding where they chose 1 Corinthians 13. We just assume, maybe that's why no one picks it. So if, you, if anyone here in the thinking of getting married, it's not actually picked that often. And it's a beautiful passage on love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If you're a note taker, I do have a couple of notes for you just as we break up the passage into one through three and then four through seven. So one through three, we're gonna see the, the primacy of love examined and then four through seven, the shape of love observed. So the primacy of love examined and the shape of love observed. A variety is the spice of life. At least that's how the saying goes. But variety is really more than the spice of life. Variety is the spice of the church. Without variety, the church would be a rather bland place. Or to use the imagery of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, the body imagery, and it's in the section that we didn't read. Um, without variety, the church would be rather grotesque. And he has that image of you know the whole church were an eye rather than a body with many, many parts. The Spirit seasons the church with a variety of gifts. And it is this variety of gifts that has the apostles' tension in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it has his attention because it had a lot of the attention of the people who belonged to the church in Corinth. And the reason it had a lot of attention was because some of the gifts of the Spirit bestowed upon the church, were perceived as indicators of status in the church. The more impressive your gift, the higher your status. And and to push back against that view of spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul in the verses 4 through 11 of chapter 12 reminds everyone that these wide variety of gifts actually have one and the same source, which is the Holy Spirit. And then in the verses 12 through 26, he also pushes back, and he says, every gift is equally necessary for the proper functioning of the church. And then you get to verse 27, which is where I picked up the reading with you this afternoon. And he does something that is frankly surprising in light of the things he did in 4 through 11 and 12 through 26. Because if the gifts of the Spirit are equal in terms of their source, one Spirit, and if the gifts of the Spirit are equal in terms of their necessity, the body can't function unless everyone's gifts is working, well then surely the gifts are equal in terms of ranking. And yet, They're not. Paul says that in God's economy of gifting his church, 
There's actually a first and a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and so on. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. But what Paul appears to give here with the one hand, he immediately takes away with the other as we get to chapter 13. For whatever primacy might be attached to a person's gift, it means nothing if love is absent, absent on the part of the person with the gift. That's because in the church, love is supreme. In the church, love is supreme. Love is the the primary thing, the most important thing, above all other things, including all of these gifts. And so we're going to explore this primacy of love, one verse uh, at a time, or one section at a time, uh, beginning with verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul begins with what we think is the gift which would have garnered probably the most attention, would have potentially bestowed the greatest status upon the person who had it. It was an impressive gift. Uh, No doubt, uh, speaking in uh, the tongues of men and of angels uh, is a rather impressive thing if if you can speak that way. And yet Paul says whatever status might be uh, given to the person on account of the gift that they have and that they, they use, uh, Paul says it, if they direct and, and use this gift without having love, actually Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have no love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So you just have to kind of imagine for a moment going to a Christmas concert next month and you're expecting a whole bunch of, you know, instruments and you show up at your Christmas concert and there's there's one person standing at the front and they've got this brass thing and they're just, they got something in their hand, they're just pounding on this brass thing. And you're like, it's not a concert. It's mere noise. If there are other people playing, then maybe the person with that brass instrument uh, would fit in nicely and it all be one nice beautiful sound but on its own no one wants to go to a concert where someone's just banging i mean it's like having a kid at home grabbing you know one of those pots and just sitting on the floor in the kitchen and just banging on it it doesn't last very long in most houses it's it's mere noise the person with a gift who turns inward with love for self and does not turn outward in love for others is mere noise. The primacy of love. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I want to start at the end. I am nothing. It's a really strong statement by Paul. With all the perceptions that go into assessing the gifts, those gifts that indicate a high standing in the church, it's easy for someone who has that gift to say, I am something. After all, there's people in the church who are looking at this person going, she is something, he is something. But without love, Paul says, I am nothing. 
He's not saying I don't cease to exist, you know, or I have no value in general. No, in spiritual terms, with this whole ranking thing in mind, I'm not a 10, I'm a zero. Now, just imagine for a moment that there was someone in this church who could prophesy. Or someone in this church who had the gift of all knowledge. That is, to know all the deep things of God that transcend, that go beyond the normal processes of human discovery. In other words, the average person can't access this knowledge and these deep things of God, but you, you have that gift. That Someone here has that gift. Someone has the gift of prophecy. Someone has the gift of all knowledge. Someone in this church has, has great faith. Uh, Paul calls it all faith. Jesus in Matthew 21, 21 calls it, you know, great faith. It's that faith to take up a mountain or a whole bunch of mountains and just drop them into the sea. Now, Jesus never envisioned anyone actually exercising faith in that way. The, the point is that all faith or great faith is like all knowledge. Great faith, all faith, transcends, goes beyond what is normally possible for a person of faith. And so they're able to do the seemingly impossible, just as the person with all knowledge is able to access the things of God that are not normally discovered by human beings. Well, as I said, imagine these people are here. You would look at them and say they are something. And no doubt the temptation would exist for that person with that gift to look around and go, you bet, I am something. And Paul says, not if love is absent. Without love, I am nothing. The person with a gift who turns inward in love with self and does not turn outward in love for others is not just mere noise, but he or she is a spiritual zero rather than a spiritual 10. Finally, verse three, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And Paul here talks about gain because Jesus taught about gain in connection with these very things. Jesus taught there was great gain associated with selling all your possessions in order that you might provide for the poor. Jesus says, do that and you will have treasures in heaven. In case you're not sold on that, in the economy of Jesus, that's great gain, treasures in heaven. In the same way, Jesus taught that there was great gain for those who would deliver up their body to death for his sake and for the sake of the gospel the gain of eternal glory. But there is no gain, says Paul, if these moments are turned inward, if these acts of service are ultimately about glorifying yourself. Matthew chapter 6 came to my mind. Jesus warns his followers, his disciples. He warns you and me about people who make a, a show about giving to the needy. Uh, he references 
um, the hypocrites of his day who um, have people play trumpets when they cut a big check. And he says, that's their gain. They've already received their reward. There's no gain after that. Their gain was the applause of people. And you know, that guy is something, that's a big check. The person with a gift who turns inward in love with self and does not turn outward in love for others will not gain the rewards that Jesus promises no matter how it might look to everyone else. It it might look like this great act of service, this great act of martyrdom, and and Jesus says there's no gain. Paul says, I gain nothing. And so here we'll begin to kind of land with you, brothers and sisters. Whatever gift you have, and maybe some of you have gifts that others in the church think are impressive, and maybe some of you have gifts that just no one even really knows about. So they're not impressive because they're not in in view. But it doesn't matter in that sense what the gift is. What matters is whether love determines and directs your exercise of your particular gift. Now, I realize that when, when I talk about gifts and, and when we're in 1 Corinthians you know, 12 and, and 13 and 14, there, there's a disconnect here. Because you look at kind of all the things he says and you're like, don't have that one, don't have that one, don't have that one, don't have that one. Not sure anyone has some of these. If they're present in this church at all, They're definitely not so prominent as to be perceived as indicators of status. But, and this is the point of the passage that kind of comes right into today. Whomever we perceive the stage lights to be shining on most brightly in this church, without love directing their use of their gift, they are mere noise, they are nothing, and they gain nothing. And that word nothing is just so, so jarring because you hear this crash as people who stand and sit on the pedestals of men are falling down to earth. And and I don't know if you, you would recognize this or not, but I had to think of myself in this context. I mean, look, I'm standing up here. There's special lights that shine on me this afternoon. I'm not on a stage, but I am up a little higher. And, and I can preach a beautiful sermon, a good sermon. Hopefully it's a beautiful sermon. It might even move you. It might move you deeply. But if I do it to glory in myself, I'm actually the guy banging away on the pot in the kitchen floor, and everyone's annoyed. It's, it's mere noise. You can be passionate for right doctrine or good order in the church, but if you have not love, you are nothing. You can actively serve on multiple committees in this church to the approval of many others in this church. They're also thankful because they don't have to serve on that committee or two that you're on. You, you can actively serve there, but if you do it for the approval of others, you gain absolutely nothing. 
You and I need to have love above all else. And it begs the question, what is love? What is love? I don't know how often you think about that question. Maybe some of you would like your spouse to think about it more often or your fellow church member to think about it more often. What is love? Years ago, I was reading a novel and one of the characters said something about love that just always stuck with me. Matter of fact, it stuck with me so much I wrote it down, which is something I rarely do. I usually read something and go, oh, that's interesting. But this, this was so interesting, I wrote it down. The character in the novel said, there are words that feel shapeless and overused. Love, for example. I could write the word love a thousand times, and it would mean a thousand different things to different readers. Maybe you can identify with that character in that novel. Maybe for you, love is an overused word. Love is a word that feels shapeless. Can't identify the contours. Well, it's good you're here this afternoon because we're going to observe the shape of love. Paul draws it out for us in our text. And what he gives us in the verses 4 through 7 is the shape of love, the, the shape of true love. I'll give you a definition of love and then we'll kind of work through what Paul says. It's a bit of a long-winded definition, but uh, I hope you can work with it. Love is above all an attitude which shows itself in acts that demonstrate regard and respect and concern for the welfare of another. Love is an attitude which shows itself in acts that demonstrate respect, regard, concern for the welfare of another. That definition is then laid over with Jesus. Love is given its true shape by Jesus Christ, who gave up the glory of his divinity for the humility of our humanity that by his death and resurrection, we might receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. His love is the perfect expression of that attitude which leads to his acts, which demonstrate his regard, his concern, his respect for the welfare of you and I. And it is his love that is given us by his spirit for the fruit of the Spirit is love. So what is the shape of this love? It's shaped by Christ, defined by Christ. But, but let's draw it out a little further. And, and Paul does. And he begins with two positive statements in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Excuse me. In Greek... Paul actually uses verbs and not adjectives. And I say that not to critique the translation. Translation's great. Don't worry about that. But just to kind of run home for you what love is patient means and what love is kind means. Love is patient means love shows patience to others. And love is kind means love shows kindness to others. Love is patient. 
sometimes in our relationships with one another, also in the church, uh, we have reason to become angry with another person. And if you haven't had that experience, you probably haven't been in the church long enough. You have reason sometimes to become angry with another person. But love shows patience in those moments. And I mentioned anger because the word patient that Paul uses here is just embedded in an Old Testament expression about the character of God. And that Old Testament expression is slow to anger. And then it always says, and abounding in steadfast love. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Love is patient, just like God is patient. Love is also kind, just like God is also kind. As I thought about the kindness of God, I thought of what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, where he calls you to love your enemies, and he calls you to do good, he calls you to lend, expecting nothing in return, and what he's describing there is kindness. And then he, he brings the teaching to an end with this statement, and you will be sons, you will be daughters of the Most High because you're imitating the Most High. And then he says, for he, the Most High, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Love, reminding ourselves of that definition, love is an attitude which shows itself in acts that demonstrates regard, respect, and concern for the welfare of another and the nature of that love, then, is that it moves positively towards another person. And it moves positively towards another person with acts of kindness. And what is so striking is that our God, who gives love its true shape, our God moves towards people in acts of kindness who are ungrateful and who are evil. Love is patient, love is kind. With this being the nature and the action of love, it's no surprise that Paul would portray the shape of love with a series of negative statements. He shows you the shape of love by speaking about what happens when love is absent. And what happens when love is absent is that people move towards each other negatively rather than positively. They move towards others, but out of a preoccupation with self. So he says, love does not burn with envy. Love does not brag. Love does not act out of an inflated sense of self. Love does not elbow its way. Um, to the front of the line. Love is not preoccupied with pleasing the self. Love does not get irritable over real or imagined slights. Love does not nurse the memory of being sinned against with a scorecard. Love does not rejoice at someone else's evil acts. Well, what does this negative list show you positively about the shape of love. It shows you that love celebrates. 
the gifts others have and the status others enjoy. Celebration is the opposite of envy. Love celebrates the gifts that others have, the status that others enjoy, while at the same time, moving on to, you know, the love does not brag, while at the same time having a humility about your own status or about your own gifts. Love acts in the interests of others for their good. Love, as, as I said at the beginning, love sits down and asks questions in order to get to know someone better so as to serve them better. Love looks out for those who are overlooked. Love overlooks slights that are real or imagined. Love forgives wrongs. If the situation is bad, love doesn't celebrate. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Love looks to help. But if the situation is good, well, then love wants to celebrate. This, this is love. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And congregation, it is a love without limits. That's what the last verse of our text this afternoon is communicating when it repeats the phrase, all things, four times. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And it's meant to say, love is without limits. Being in a relationship with another person, doesn't matter if it's marriage, church, somewhere else. Being in a relationship with others will always test the limits of their love as well as yours. And Paul here is talking about your love for them. And it's in that context that he uses that phrase, all things, repeatedly. Love, you know, bears all things. You may sometimes feel like you can no longer support another person, but love bears, supports all things. You may sometimes lose faith in another person, but love believes all things. You may sometimes feel hopeless because nothing you say or do in that relationship matters, but love hopes all things. And you may sometimes feel like giving up in the face of relational setbacks. But love endures all things. Love never tires of support. Love never loses faith. And love never exhausts hope. Love never gives up. This is the fruit of the Spirit. A fruit that is produced in you only as you live by the Spirit and as you keep in step with the Spirit. And I want you to understand that as much as God in his common grace, in his common kindness, enables people generally to love one another, this passage takes us beyond his common grace. This passage and this, this primacy of love and this portrayal of love this goes beyond common grace. This is about the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit of God. Such love as Paul describes here in our text is beyond the natural person. It is of the Spirit of God and it takes on the very shape of God. And so as you go out this week, you're beloved of God. 
and you are to live by the Spirit. And as you do, you will have love, which is the most excellent way. Amen. Thanksgiving. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us first so that we might know the shape of love in order that we might love you rightly in return. Lord Jesus, thank you for perfectly revealing the shape of love so that we might love one another even as you have loved us. Holy Spirit, thank you for the great variety of gifts you have given this church and thank you for teaching us the primacy of love and showing us this afternoon the shape of love. Help us to keep in step with you, Holy Spirit, so that our actions do demonstrate regard and respect and concern for the welfare of one another. We thank you, Father, that we can express love this afternoon through our offerings for the ministry of mercy. And we pray that you'll bless the deacons as they take our gifts and minister mercy, both inside and outside this congregation, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the loving care that is offered and experienced in our congregation. Thank you for the quiet service of one member to another that no one knows about but the member who is so blessed by it. Thank you for the care of members by office bearers. Thank you for organized care as it is carried out and administered in this church. Equip and strengthen each member here so they would use their gifts in love for the benefit and the well-being of others. Father, for those moments when we have not had love, forgive us in your love. Be patient and kind with us when we are noisy gongs. Be patient and kind with us when we fail to love the way you have taught us to love. And renew us, O God, in your love so that more and more we might love like you. And so send us forth from this place once again with your rich blessing, your triune blessing, so that your grace and your love and your fellowship goes with us. In Christ we pray, amen. You have the opportunity to express thanksgiving to God by way of your offerings, and after the offerings have been gathered, we're going to close our Sunday worship with hymn number 75, uh, singing the remaining stanza, which is the third stanza. (laughs) 